as we are continuing in our series on this red letter living. And we're calling it red letter living because these are the words of Jesus. And if you grew up like me and you had one of those red letter editions of the Bible, that every time Jesus speaks in the Bible, it's in red letters. It kind of lets you know where it is. So that's what Peyton and I did. We picked out different, different red letters, if you will, of Jesus in this series. You know, those of you who are into Stranger Things, it is a cult following. Uh, you understand the upside down, right? The upside down is this alternate dimension. It, it exists parallel to our world. It looks just like our world, except, it, except in that parallel dimension. It's, it's dark, and there's decay, and, and it's dangerous, and, and people die. It's an absolutely terrible place where the mind flayer rules. But the fall of man, it unleashed the, a dark version of Eden, an upside-down version of Eden is suddenly comes to life in this harsh environment ruled by Satan. Human beings began treating the ground like a slave, and that slave, the ground, would work humans to death. We see relationships that are strained. We see violence that begins. People begin to murder one another. And we look out in our world and we say, look at what's happening. We see people who are hungry. Evidently, we're on the verge of recession. There's mass shootings. There's war. And we just wonder... No matter what generation you've come from, you wonder, are we ever going to get to that ultimate rest? Are we ever going to get back to Eden? And the Bible tells us, the biblical story tells us, yes. Yes. And God is trying to bring us back to what was lost in Eden and actually give us something that's even greater. Jesus came with this great invitation that was read a moment ago by Elizabeth. Very good. And Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is inviting the crowds to become his disciples, his followers. These people in the crowd, they are weighed down by the heavy burdens of their lives. They were even weighed down by their religion. Judaism itself was, was weighing them down, not because the law itself but because of all the regulations of those who were leaders of the law. And Jesus even talks about these heavy burdens that were placed upon the people's shoulders by these people. But Jesus said, I promise you rest. But I want to talk about the yoke for just a minute. We, we, some of you understand the idea of a yoke. Some of you actually really understand the idea of a yoke. Others of us just saw pictures of it before. And it's that wooden piece, that little curved piece. And it yokes two animals together. 
Metaphorically, it describes someone who is in subjection to another. Jesus says, take my yoke. Rabbis often referred to the yoke of the law. They referred to the yoke of commandments, the yoke of the kingdom of God, the yoke of, uh, of, um, of the law. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Now, this is not an invitation to a life of ease. Sometimes that's the way we think Christianity is supposed to be. Well, I follow God. I follow Christ. I've given my life to him, but my life is still messed up. My life has still got all kinds of stuff happening in it every day. That's not what he's talking to. It is an invitation for the weary and the burden of, those, of these religious regulations that have been placed upon them. Just Sabbath. Sabbath itself. Did you know there were over 600 regulations that were given by the scribes and the Pharisees on top of what God had said, which was to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. It's a day on it that you will not work. You cease from work. That's the concept behind it. In other words, don't plow. Don't go out and reap and sow. But they had all kind of regulations. One of the regulations, get this, you cannot step on a plot of grass because on that day, if you were to step on that grass and you were to, to release a seed from a bud, it would be considered sowing. They need rest. <laughs> and, and what's ironic about that is that's what the Sabbath is supposed to be for, is rest. But they turned it into something that was a great burden. They missed what it was all about. Folks, the life of faith is a much lighter and easier burden than one of self-righteousness, than one of earning salvation. Paul wrote to the church of Galatia because they started following after this false gospel that, that said, look, you need to follow the law of Moses for you to be saved. And, and he comes in, and, and by the way, if you're not going to a 4 o'clock Wednesday class and you're able to, you ought to come to it. David's teaching Galatians right now. He's going to come to chapter 5 a little bit later on. And, in, and here it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. You stand firm in that. And he says, don't submit again to what? The yoke of slavery. A yoke of burden. The Jerusalem council happened because... There were Messianic Jews who said, listen, these Gentile followers, they, you need to tell them that they must be circumcised and they have, to, they have to follow the law. Peter stands up, he says, listen, do you not realize that they are saved by the grace of God? He says, we are not to put on this yoke of bondage over their necks again. Let's talk about rest. Because that's really the concept that I wanted to take from the words of Jesus. I will give you rest. Isn't that a beautiful word? We find a play on words that starts from the first couple of pages in Genesis and it goes all the way through the book of Revelation. Do you know that? This idea of rest. It's first mentioned in Eden. On the seventh day, where the creator ceases, because that's what Sabbath is about, ceases his work, and he invites humanity to partake in this Sabbath creation rest with them. 
And they are to reign and to rule and to rest with God. They were given a work to do, to serve there in the garden. But it's not the kind of back-breaking kind of work we think about. The land, the land produced, the land cooperated. You didn't see the things that, that people struggle with as farmers today, for example. It was something different. You ever done a work before and you just loved it? You just enjoyed it? In fact, it didn't seem like work, even though you were being very productive. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember that one time years ago or something. And it didn't last, did it? Even when you find something like it, it doesn't last. Why is that? Because God's rest is related to sinless perfection of the seventh day rest in Eden. And it messed it up when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. The way back is found in the one who would come through woman, who would crush the head of the serpent. God even established his own nation to bring this Savior into our world. And wouldn't you know it, he established rest. They had a Sabbath day rest where they ceased from their work. They had a sabbatical year. You're going to love this. Six years they worked the land. On the seventh year, they were to let the land rest. Don't do any work. The year of Jubilee, it was seven cycles of seven. 49 years. In the 50th year, the horn would blow. And it was a time of release. All captives were set free. Slaves were released. Debts were forgiven. Property was returned to their owners. In addition... The labor ceased for an entire year. The people and the land had a year of rest. You may say, well, how in the world did they eat? God blessed the land. And he made sure that they always had plenty, an abundance, while they rested. Does this sound anything like Eden to you? The seventh month is packed with Jewish festivals. The Feast of Trumpets is a Sabbath rest. It's a reminder that God wants to dwell with his people, just like he had dwelled with Adam and Eve. There's the Day of Atonement. It's associated with the Sabbath. Uh, I think I went the wrong way. It's associated with the Sabbath. The people ceased from their work. Listen to this. Sounds, this, this sound familiar. They cease from work, and God forgives their sins. There's the Feast of Booths. On the first and eighth day of that feast was a Sabbath. It was a, a rest. The people lived in small huts during the week to remind them of the wanderings out in the wilderness and when they lived in tents. And I don't know if you've ever read it before. I know Leviticus, you're like, so boring. No, there's so much good stuff in there. And when you start to read it, you, you listen at what, the, what they made their, their booths out of. They, they made it out of leaves, these uh, booths were made from leaves and branches of beautiful fruit trees that came from, a, from streams of water. Anything there sound like Eden to you? These festivals, these Sabbath days and years, they were to remind the people of where they were headed. Ultimate rest. Leviticus 26, I know, we're still in Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus 26 is about blessings. 
blessings to those who obey Yahweh. That's the name of God. And in it, listen to this, see if any of this language sounds familiar. He's going to give them rain in due season. The land is going to yield its produce. Trees are going to bear fruit. There's going to be plenty of food. They will have peace in the land. God is even going to remove any harmful wild animals from among them. They will be fruitful and multiply. He will dwell with them and walk among them and be their God. Any of this sound like Eden to you? And then notice how it ends. In verse 13, Israel is reminded of Jubilee. He says, I released you from bondage. I released you from slavery, that heavy yoke that you once, you once bore. And if Israel is obedient, what he's saying is, they will enjoy at least a semblance of the seventh day rest that was found in Eden. But what if they didn't? Well, verse 14 goes on and it begins with what turns out to be an upside-down jubilee. And if you know the story of Israel, you know they failed repeatedly and eventually they ended up in bondage. They went back to the yoke of slavery once again. Jesus launched his ministry on a Sabbath day. You think that was intentional or just coincidental? I think it was absolutely intentional. And the reason I believe that is because Jesus reads from this scroll and he's telling them about his ministry, that he will release the captives, he will restore sight to the blind, he will free the oppressed. Folks, this is a kingdom of God jubilee moment is what he's calling. Read your gospels, follow Jesus around in these gospels. And what do you see? You see a woman, a widow, who gets her son back who had died. You find people who are blind and they get their sight back. You find people who are deaf and they get their hearing back. You find people who were lepers and lame and they get their health back. There was a woman, she was a prostitute. And Jesus releases her from her sins. He forgives her sins. Jesus came to set us free. Came to set us free from being slaves of sin. He has come and he has paid the debt. He has released us of our debt of sin on the cross. Jesus heals this woman. She had been crippled for 18 years. Think about that. Someone who is crippled for 18 years and suddenly she is, she's healed. And, and the leader of, of, the, of the synagogue is outraged. You know why? Because Jesus healed on a Sabbath day. You can't do that. And this is what Jesus says. He says, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan, listen to this wording, bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bound on the Sabbath day? That's what Sabbath day is all about. It's about rest. It's about release. It's about ceasing. Jubilee breaks out. And it has continued on even to this day. In fact, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, 
For we who have believed have entered that rest. We have entered it. True believers will experience the finalization of it because, let's face it, our world is not exactly Eden. But we can carry the yoke of Christ in submission, a yoke that is easy and light. Jesus' teachings equip us to live out God's will in the way life was meant to be lived in Eden. Did you know that? Jesus embodied and he proclaimed the will of God and he lived perfectly. And that's why we gladly put on the yoke of Jesus. That's why we, we absolutely want to follow him. And you may say, well, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How is it different than just law? Well, he taught things like to love God, which, by the way, is in your Old Testament. To love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The other one, he comes right back after it as well. And you can find it, I think, in Leviticus. To love your neighbor as yourself. He taught us to treat people the way we want to be treated. To be willing to forgive other people who've wronged us. And even to love our enemies. He taught us that salvation is by faith. It's not by our good deeds. And he taught us that we cannot serve two masters. It's all, either all God or nothing. But if you just follow Jesus around and you just say, okay, let's see the things that Jesus did, just as example, we find a lot of things. Jesus was baptized. He was led by the Spirit. He lived to do the Father's will. He was compassionate towards the downtrodden. He was passionate about the kingdom of God. He was self-sacrificing. He always made time to pray, even when he didn't have any time. We should get excited about going to, into these Gospels and reading and meditating and searching for ways that we can be more like him. And when we go into these Gospels, we're not going there to find a new law to follow. We're looking for a person to follow. He says, come to me. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's the one we follow. And I'm here to tell you some bad news. You're not going to be able to do it perfectly. That's why Jesus had to come. But we should strive for it every day. And when we do fall short, we can know that, that, that our, where we fall short, God's grace and mercy make up for those areas in our lives where we have failed. How do we answer Jesus' call to come to him? It's by faith. It's trusting him without reservation. It's following him wherever he leads. 
in baptism, we, we are clothed in Christ, is the way the writer puts it. We are released from the bondage of the upside down. And we are created to walk in this new way of life. It's the life of new creation. Those who believe, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Those who are baptized in the Spirit of God, the Spirit comes and permanently indwells in us and helps to mold us into the image of God. As followers of Jesus, we're not required to follow the laws that are given to Israel by God exactly. There were given at specific times and specific people and for specific purposes, yet the wisdom of those laws endure forever. The law of Sabbath is not a command that we're bound to, but it is an invitation, a promise of an invitation. It is where we regularly engage in God's rule and reign in our lives. It's where he comes and, and we dwell with God. We cease work to rest in his presence. And even better, we're taking part of the new creation story as new creations in Christ. Even if the upside down world that we live in takes us, and it's a violent place. Some people consider it a very, very fearful place. Revelation says that those who die in the Lord, they will rest from their labors. From Genesis to Revelation. We live in a fast-paced, problem-prone, project-oriented world with these endless to-do lists for work and for home and for other organizations, and these just add weight to our souls, don't they? It only leads to deeper spiritual emptiness, and we long for rest. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Jesus says, come to me. All ye who are, are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 